Oh, hey, Beth. It's my favorite time of the year and the month of my favorite holiday, Halloween. Oh, I know you appreciate a good horror story and some jump scares, but I know neither of us appreciates those scary, creepy, crawly bugs hiding in our coops and barns now that the weather has cooled down. And that is why we are always stocked up on First Saturday Lime, our go-to pest repellent that is safe, effective, and organic, that has an amazing subscription program that ships a 20-pound bag of First Saturday Lime to your door before the first Saturday of each month. And it always ships free. The subscription comes with a gift each month, too. October's subscription came with spring bulbs to plant before the winter. So go to firstsaturdaylime.com to sign up for the subscription so you never run out of lime. Oh, hey, Sam. Oh, hey, Bev. What are you drinking over there? Well, I'm getting really, really creative with my themed beers. Oh. I'm drinking a 50 West Brewing Doom Petal White Ale. Oh, Doom Petal. That sounds kind of dark. <laughs> it does, doesn't it? I mean, the beer is anything but dark, but I thought since this was technically our Halloween episode, it needed to be something scary. And Doom Petal was the best I could come up with. <laughs> so you said it's a white ale, but like what? Describe it for me a little more. So it's a white ale is sort of like a blend between an ale and a wheat beer. Mm. So it's hazy. And that's what makes it white. Like uh, white IPAs is actually one of my new favorite styles now that I'm enjoying hops just a little bit more. Okay. And the description of it is a wheat beer that's unfiltered and hazy like your last road trip. And um, it's not exactly a wheat beer because it doesn't have like that orangey coriander type of taste, banana taste to it that like mm. wheat beers usually get. It has more of like the sharp ale and a little bit of the happiness to it. So yeah. Nice. What are you drinking over there? So I am drinking an Arcadia Ales Jawjacker, which is an ale with spices added. And the spices are cinnamon, allspice, and nutmeg. And it's got this cool like art on it of a pumpkin with a jaw. And in the background, there's scarecrow and bats and stuff. So it's very Halloween-ish for today. Nice. Yes. And welcome to We Drink and We Farm Things. Yes, this is the farm comedy podcast that is an adult happy hour for your ears. We drink adult beverages, talk about the ups and downs of farming things, and give zero clucks about not having the perfect farm life. We keep it real with you and share the mistakes we've made and the new knowledge we've gained, and we share that with our community of both large and small-scale farmers. And sometimes we go off on tangents that are non-farming related, but we cut a lot of those tangents and stick them up on the Patreon for you. 
That's right. And this episode's outtakes are exclusively for our Patreon peeps. And you can check those out by going to patreon.com slash drink and farm. And our first level starts at $2. And that's all you need in order to access exclusive recordings. Sometimes we throw pictures up there. And it's a really easy way to to support the podcast. Yeah. And speaking of the Patreon, our drinks this episode are sponsored by no one. so that means as we record this we have an open spot for that drink sponsor spot and that like never happens our drink sponsors are like diehards it seems like so um as bev puts it pitter patter on over to patreon.com and sign up or just go check out if that spot's still available so you can be a part of that fun now there's a good friend there all right We've got a corrections corner. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and it's an extremely recent corrections corner because <laughs> as of this recording, this episode's not actually released yet. Uh, but that's okay. I'm on it. Like, on it. Like, I don't know. I was going to say something, but I can't think of anything. I was going to gonna say, to. like, on like Donkey Kong, but that's really not right either. <laughs> <laughs> So in the mini-sode that we just dropped about avocados, we discussed California's drought because it's one of the things that they talked about in the documentary. But I just wanted to say that technically California is no longer in a drought because there was like some record rain and snowfall in 2018. So their reservoirs have been refilled and they are not empty like they were a year and a half, two years ago, whatnot. So uh, we're super hopeful that that farmer that was having a really tough time in the documentary is actually doing better. And it's totally possible that he is. We don't know. Yeah. But I think that's a really good point to bring up. While this is season two of Rotten and it just came out, documentaries take a lot of time to put together. And especially if you're doing kind of like a longitudinal approach, um, that means that it's over a long period of time. Um, and production takes a while. So the stuff that we're getting is recent, but maybe not as recent as, you know, what's actually going on right now. So it's always good to do a double check. So good catch, Bev. Yeah, I'm curious when they filmed that. Like, judging by the desperation when they were talking about California's water, I'm guessing 2017. But that's just a guess. I mean, it technically could have been any time within the last, like, I think four-ish years or so. But, you know, it kind of goes in a cycle. There's a lot of snow, and then suddenly all the water problems are cured, and then it's really dry, there is no snow, and then it's crisis mode again. So (laughs) I hope it's not a short-lived recession from the drought. But, you know, we can't control the weather, so. No, we cannot. And it looks like we have a little bit of follow-up this week, too. Yes, we do. So while I was editing the last two episodes that we did, we just did two where we talked about uh, consumption of meat, and then also we talked about animal agriculture. And in those episodes, uh, I realized that, Sam, you talked about how having meat in your meals really adds a lot of value to your life or to the quality of your life. And I totally forgot to point out and share the fact that even though I know that cutting down on meat isn't like going to save the environment or anything, I still cut meat out of our diet for like two or three meals 
old listeners, or I shouldn't call you old, sorry, <laughs> listeners. Long-time listeners? Long-time listeners probably already know that about me, but I forgot to mention it in both of those episodes, and I had two opportunities. So in the interest of being open and honest, I thought I should share that and point that out again. I like it. Yeah. And uh, something else I wanted to share was that uh, after we learned that transportation and energy and whatnot were two of the biggest contributors to greenhouse gas emissions, I'm actively trying to cut down on our electricity consumption, like for real. Mm -hmm. In the notes, I had written that our house had been 63 degrees for like multiple days, but I finally gave in and had to turn the heater on because it got below 60 in here the other day. And I was like, nope, (laughs) nope, can't do that anymore. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah, I we so this might sound horrible, but so I'm definitely like taking a selfish here when I'm not paying or when I we do keep the the heat off or low, it's because I don't want to pay for it, not because of the impact it has in the environment. So it's like kind of like one of those um things where it has like a indirect effect that is positive in the world (laughs) and it's good for my bank account so (laughs) we have not turned our heat on and I think it says like um it usually stays like 64 65 here because we have like a newer house so the insulation setup is really good so we can get away with it for longer and it was a really beautiful weekend here too so um that definitely helped um but I'm like still making bets with myself I would really like to make it to December but we'll see (laughs) Oh, that'd be super awesome if you did. And that was actually a really good point that you made. There's nothing wrong with like cutting down on things just because you want to save a little money. That's actually one of the reasons why we cut down on our meat consumption just a little Mm -hmm. bit. Because we find that like I'll plan on making dinner all seven nights and then it turns out we don't. I forget to throw the meat in the freezer and then something goes bad. So then not only did I spend like $10 on this package of meat, but then I threw it in the trash. So yeah. by planning a couple of vegetarian meals or or sometimes even vegan options in there, when I miss cooking dinner, sometimes it's those that I push back mm. because I know that the ingredients will stay a little longer depending on, you know, what it is that I'm making. If it's like lots of leafy greens, that's not going to last nearly as long. But if it's like a lot of beans and like frozen vegetables and things like that stuff will last for forever. So, yeah. yep. Good point. Yeah. So we decided to take a slight detour from our normal formatting of the show because, like Bev pointed out, we've talked like about things outside of our farms for the past few episodes. So we wanted to catch you up a little bit. So we're going to do a little impromptu farm catch-up corner um, to just kind of give you guys a heads up about what's going on and maybe you've already seen some of this in our feeds if you follow us over on Instagram on our individual accounts but we just kind of wonder if maybe you guys missed us talking about us (laughs) 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 or maybe we just missed talking about ourselves and that says a lot about us in the podcast but you know you know tomato tomato (laughs) right (laughs) does it matter (laughs) I don't know we're gonna do it anyways (laughs) So what's new going on with you, Sam? So Maya, the goat, is pregnant, and we don't know who the father is. What? 
Dun, dun, dun. Uh, yeah, so she's preparing to either prepare uh, appear on the Maury show or perhaps the Jerry Springer show shortly um, because we, we need to figure out who this father is. <laughs> and the reason why it could be one show or the other is because either she, somehow she got hanging around tutors, our main um, male goat, or when she was still in with her three-month-old bucklings, one of them may have been overly enthusiastic and successful. So that would be the delineation between Maury and Jerry Springer, um, in my mind. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I've been having a very hard time finding her ligaments for over, like, by the time you hear this, probably, like, two weeks now. Um, And I keep feeling, like, the jumping bean feelings in the side of her belly. Um, I know for sure there's babies in there. You can usually start feeling uh, goat baby movement around four months, um, right up until right before. So that's what makes it a little harder to gauge too, because her bag's filling up. Um, She looks real puffy back there, but I think she's kind of pulling a Diana, who is our other female goat that was pregnant earlier this year, who was like kind of punking me for like almost a month I think it was like three weeks I remember that where I'm like oh my god stalking her on the webcam um because I couldn't feel her ligaments anymore either so I wonder if she's just taking a page out of Diana's book (laughs) she's like I want special treatment for longer please and thank you yes I like having my own space um where I don't have to share my food Um, so I, I, when I was kind of like refreshing my memory on what the hell to do, it's so funny because we just had babies back in like February and it's like, I can't remember what to do. Um, so I was like going through stuff and refreshing my memory and I found a new fun fact on the internet that said, if you can feel a lot of babies movements on the side of the tummy, it's not time. Once you can't really feel it consistently anymore, it may mean that the babies have dropped into position. And you'll have babies within 12 to 18 hours. So I'm not sure if that's actually a good indicator or not. But I'm testing the theory this time since I can't really feel ligaments. Um, And my only other option is to wait for a discharge to happen. um, And some really oddballish behavior to happen. Um, So we're definitely stalking her via barm cam. I'm naturally waking up multiple times in the night because my body just knows that this is going to happen within the next month, probably. (laughs) And just kind of like peeking at the webcam, the iPad is like on the floor so I can just lean over and look at it um, (laughs) and stalk her. And yeah, so we're in that kind of mode. Everything's ready to go when she's ready. And I'm just hoping it's not like when I'm out of town or at work. Um, So we're just kind of playing it by ear. But yeah, that's my new news. Can't really be mad about new baby goats. So there's that. (laughs) Oh, yeah, absolutely not. And I really hope that they're here before Halloween because then you can get like some clearance baby goat Halloween jammies for them. (gasps) Oh, that's brilliant. And break the whole internet. Yes, we'll break the whole damn thing. (laughs) (laughs) So what is new on your farm, Beth? Well, we almost have Herc's loafing shed done. Yay! Yeah, we decided that we had to build it ourselves because have you ever gone shopping for like a little run-in shed or an outdoor building Mm. for an animal? Yep. They are so expensive. It's ridiculous. 
I cannot yeah. believe it. <laughs> yeah, like thousands and thousands of dollars for the really nice ones. Yep. Yeah. And I don't say that because I don't think that they're worth it. Like I'm positive that they are and that a lot of work goes into them and like craftsmanship goes into them because like I'm telling you, we've been working on this this loafing Mm -hmm. shed for like a month at least. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I guess we could have spent an extra thousand bucks and just had it delivered. But we opted not to. And it's been a little fun because we got to custom design it specifically for Herc and our pasture. So Mm -hmm. it's six feet wide, 12 feet long. And there's one slightly hilarious part about it. It's like eight feet tall on the short side, which means it's at least 10 feet tall (laughs) on the tall side for our mini donkey. (laughs) So are you planning on getting some taller animals and you're just not telling Jared now or? (laughs) Well, we had a bit of a miscommunication because I called it a loafing shed and I told him what we were doing and I like gave him the visual of what we were looking at and we like went and looked at some and whatnot. Well, since we scaled it down in width and length for the mini, I forgot to tell him that we needed to scale down the height for average ones. <laughs> so he just built it. He like looked up online, like, well, how tall is a loafing shed? <laughs> and apparently that was what came up. <laughs> All right. And that's what we're doing. Well, if you ever need to add like an addition onto it, at least like it's already pretty tall. So that's that. true. That's a good point. <laughs> well, and it was really funny. Our neighbor, Nate, came over to help Jared hang the headers on it. And while they were up on ladders, like doing that, Nate's like, dude, are you like getting horses or something? Why is this thing so tall? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. And Jared's like, oh, oh, yeah, I guess it is a little tall. Yeah. Oh, well. <laughs> Too late now. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. There was no way we were chopping it down. Like, the, we couldn't. It was impossible. Oh, man. But uh, we made it six feet wide so that it's the right width to fit through our gates because our gates are eight feet wide. And uh, it's light enough that we can pull it with the utility vehicle. But we built it in a way so that it's got, like, runners and skids so that it doesn't flip over in a windstorm because mm. that's another tricky part. Like, usually you bury posts like uh, I want to say three or four feet into the ground to help Mm -hmm. keep it stable but we're just going to be really uh, intentional about the direction that we face it so that the door is facing where the wind doesn't typically come in and then also the really heavy skids help uh, keep it weighted down and we actually did make it big enough uh, to fit three miniature donkeys in it so I don't know maybe we'll get some future ones in my Mm? I mean, you're prepared. It's fine. <laughs> we are prepared. Maybe a llama will go in it because it's so tall. <laughs> mm. You know, alpacas are a little more compact. So That's true. You can always maybe get like two of those, you know, <laughs> if you're really planning to optimize that space. <laughs> two alpacas and a herc. Sounds like a winning combination. <laughs> it sounds like a band, and I'm really interested to know what the album art cover looks like for that. Oh, well, now I'm noodling on that. Yeah. Well, if we have any artistic listeners that would like to take a stab at that, please send that to drinkinformantgmail.com <laughs> and we will proudly display that somewhere on the internet. <laughs> yes. Yes, we will. So now we get to jump into the actual episode. And I'm pretty excited about this today because, you know, as we've mentioned, Halloween is less than a week away. And we thought it would be appropriate to cover something kind of spooky and scary. So today we're going to talk about chicken cannibalism. 
Ooh. Ooh, spooky Halloween. That's the best spooky <laughs> voice I could do. <laughs> it was pretty good. Oh, good. Yeah. Um, and this talk is inspired by a talk that we heard at Coop Camp. And then I also pulled in some information from Penn State University's Extension website. And we'll link to that in the show notes. Um, and it, this uh, website and the article in there was prepared by Philip J. Klosser, who is um, part of the Penn State Extension and Department of Animal Science. Um, and it was reviewed by Dr. Gregory Martin. So this is pretty legit. Nice. So we'll start off by saying that cannibalism in chickens usually occurs when the birds are stressed by poor management practice. And once becoming stressed, um, birds begin to pick at feathers, combs, toes, or the vents of other birds. And once an open wound or blood is visible on the bird, the vicious habit of cannibalism can spread rapidly through the entire flock, which just kind of like triggers imagery in my head of like a zombie apocalypse, but with chickens. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, have you ever seen a chicken attack? It totally kind of looks like the zombie apocalypse. (laughs) I mean, it kind of goes back to the can't even you had a few episodes ago when that woman got pecked by... A, a rooster and it like in her varicose vein and, and she died it oh yeah reminds me of that too um so if you notice the problem um soon after it begins cannibalism can be held in check however if the problem is allowed to continue uh that can go very poorly for you so cannibalism will lower the bird's value due to torn and damaged damaged flesh poor feathering and can result in high death losses and once this habit gets out of hand it's difficult to eliminate and i think we're kind of experiencing this on a very small scale here um with cluck norris the rooster his back feathers got like completely ripped out and he was like ostracized from the group and now he's been living under the porch, which is very annoying because he starts crowing at 5 a.m. And <laughs> the back deck is like right behind or right by our bedroom window. So there's that. But his feathers are all like coming back in now. And because that bare skin is covered, um, they're kind of starting to accept him back in a little bit. So I'm hoping he starts going to bed in the coop again very soon. <laughs> Oh, gosh, I hope so. You know, I've been having that same exact problem in my flock. And I don't know if it's just because everybody was molting. So they were like Mm, craving more protein mm -hmm. or something. But like everyone was missing all of their tail feathers. And everyone looked ridiculous. Like their back ends were all sunburned. And they were making each other bleed. And finally, I just like put aprons on them. (laughs) I was like, I give up. I don't know how to handle. I don't know how to solve this. (laughs) Right. So we do want to say, well, this is a very serious issue. We don't the last thing we want is for you to feel judged if you ever have this issue, because it, if you have a lot larger flock or, you know, you're not a helicopter chicken mom, it could be really easy to miss that this is happening until it's a little too late. Well, and also I feel like I just kind of end up erring on the side of they'll work it out sometimes mm-hmm. just because I have so many other things going on. I don't want to get involved if I don't have to. But then I'll walk out there and I'm like, oh, I let this go on just a little too long. Oops. Yep. <laughs> yep. Oops. It's right. And it can be difficult, too, if um, you don't have a lot of options for separating or moving chickens that are either the problem chicken or the injured chicken. Um, so sometimes it requires some creative thinking that surprisingly can take a lot of energy yeah (laughs) so no judgment here 
Um, but we're going to tell you today some of the causes of cannibalism to keep a lookout for, um, prevention of that, and then also treatment if cannibalism is becoming a problem in your flock. And I do want to point out too, since we're talking about Halloween and I'm a fan of horror movies, like we're talking about birds here, but if it, this was like a human situation, I'm pretty like convinced that humans would also go kind of ape shit. If they were put in some of these situations too. And I couldn't help but think of that when I was putting this together yesterday. <laughs> Just kind of dark. Sam can be kind of dark. But. Uh, I mean, nothing wrong with that. We all have our thing, right? <laughs> yes. So some of the causes of cannibalism um, can be stresses of moving birds or making other flock management changes that are necessary. So if you plan to move young birds to a new location... It is best to move some of the feeders and waterers with them in order to help them adapt so they have something that's familiar. Um, and when you change over to larger feeders and waterers, it, it is helpful to leave the smaller equipment in the pen for a few days to help them cope with that change. So that's one little tidbit of how you could potentially make that easier on them. And I had no idea about that. So I'm learning all the time still, too. <laughs> There we go. Yeah, I just tend to do that out of default because when we switch them from like the chick waterers or the, the ground waterers to the ones where they peck the little water nipples, I'm always concerned that they won't be able to figure it out right away. Oh, so I wasn't yeah. doing it so they weren't stressed. I was doing it so they wouldn't like die of dehydration. So, <laughs> Which is also important. <laughs> double win. <laughs> So overcrowding can be another issue. Uh, large breeds of chickens should be allowed a quarter of a square foot per bird for the first two weeks, three quarters of a square foot per bird for three to eight weeks old, 1.5 square feet per bird from eight to eight, 16 weeks of age, and two square feet per bird from 16 weeks on. Um, and don't freak out if all of a sudden you're realizing that maybe it's a little crowded. Um because if you're letting them out into the run during the day or letting them free range, that can make up for it if they're just going inside and roosting at night. Next, for bantam chickens, um, the article points out that they'll require half the space as the large chickens that we just went through. But if you have game birds, you'll want to double the above recommendations. Um, with pheasants, you want to allow 25 to 30 square feet per bird after 12 weeks of age. Or you'll want to use pick prevention devices like plastic peepers or blinders um, to prevent cannibalism. And if you haven't seen those before, I highly recommend you like um, Google those peepers or blinders because some people put googly eyes on them. Oh, gosh. <laughs> it's really creative. <laughs> they look pretty cool. I've seen them, but I've heard that they can be kind of tricky to put on because you've yeah. got to like hold the bird under one arm and then you have to like use this clamping device to like clamp it to their yeah. beak or something like that. Yeah, it looks pretty hardcore. But who knew that pheasants took up so much freaking space? Like I had no idea. I mean, it makes sense in theory since especially since they're like out in the wild. I think, you know, that tends to be their purpose. And then if you're breeding them, you're most likely eating them, is my guess. So I, that was a, totally new to me, too. 
Yeah, I'll have to ask my neighbor about that because they do raise pheasants, but they raise pheasants and then let them go because they're trying to repopulate the wild population in our neighborhood. And so far it's working. I see them on the side of the road all the time. So Interesting. Yeah, I'll have to ask them. I don't think they've raised any since we've lived here, though, because I'm sure we would have gone over to go, like, say hi to the little chicks or something because they're pretty cute. So insufficient feeder, water, or nesting space can also be a problem that contributes to cannibalism. So if the birds have to fight for food and water, or if they're always hungry, they're going to increase pecking at each other. And be sure that your chickens also have free access to water and feed at all times. Chickens are not the kind of animal where you like feed in the morning and feed in the afternoon. They're pretty good at self-regulating themselves. So Mm -hmm. it's not necessary. More work for you. And also the pecking order determines which birds get to eat and when. So if they don't have access to food all the time, the guys on the bottom are not going to get to eat enough. And also when you have inadequate feeder space, the chickens at the lower end of the pecking order may never be allowed to eat. Poor little guys and girls. Yeah. Along those same lines with dietary absences or deficiencies, um, that can also cause issues. Um, So if you have a food that's extremely high energy or um, lower fiber, that can cause birds to be extra active and aggressive. Um, In feed lacking protein and the other nutrients, particularly one that I can't pronounce, that is methioic. I don't know. Methionine? Methionine. Now that you say it, that makes sense. Right. (laughs) (sighs) So methionine um, can actually cause birds to pick feathers. So make sure you feed a balanced diet um, appropriately for the age and types of fowl you are raising. And incorrect lighting can also cause a problem. And it's usually too much light that... Mm -hmm ends up being an issue extremely bright light or excessively long periods of light will cause your chickens to become hostile towards each other and you never want to use white light bulbs larger than 40 watts to brood fowl and if larger bulbs are required for heat you want to use the red or the infrared bulbs and when raising birds 12 weeks of age or older use 15 or 25 watt bulbs above feeding and watering areas and never light fowl for more than 16 hours per day because constant light can be extremely stressful to them. Yeah, and this is really timely because you're most likely, if you're in the um, northern hemisphere, noticing that the days are getting shorter. Um, And a lot of people start talking about putting artificial light in the coops. Um, All you need in order to encourage more egg laying if you're interested in that through the winter fall winter months is like a set of christmas lights um or twinkle lights it doesn't have to be a lot and i can confirm that that's all you need because it's worked wonderfully before for us because we moved some of the smaller coops into the barn so they really don't get a lot of light um but that's enough to keep them happy in that space uh so that's one thing to really consider and If you're really concerned about this, if you're brooding chicks, another option to keep your birds warm are those like heating panels um, or the little, I forget what they're called, like eco. Well, (laughs) I use uh, the ceramic bulbs. Oh, yeah. Is that that what you were thinking of? Nope. I was thinking of the things the chicken chick uses. 
Oh, uh, the Eco Brincia plates. Yep. yep. That's, that's what I'm going for. So that's oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but we figured it out together. Look at that teamwork. So you have you have different options um, now that we've struggled through that. Um, if you're can if if you're noticing this is an issue, I always use red bulbs um, when we're brooding because I heard somewhere that if they peck at each other and they see red, that's not good. So if everything's red, <laughs> right, that seems to be better for them. And I haven't had any issues. Knock on wood so far. That's good. Yeah, I just use a Christmas, uh, a string of Christmas lights in my coop during the wintertime to keep laying up, and that works just fine. Mm -hmm. And I usually leave it on for between 14 and 16 hours a day. I have to kind of adjust it as the winter goes on because I'm trying not to waste electricity also. Not that there's a lot of electricity, but still. I went in there the other day, and it was dark. Uh, What was it? It was like eight, and it was still like super dark. And I was like, oh, I've got to adjust this again. So I just like added another hour and the lights popped on and I was like all right perfect now I just added an hour to their light (laughs) (laughs) you're welcome chickens (laughs) or thank you chickens because now I get to keep having eggs (laughs) so another issue you're gonna want to watch out for is lame birds left in the flock Um, fowl will pick on crippled or dead birds in their pens because of the social order and just because curiosity um once pecking starts, it can quickly develop into a vicious habit. So you definitely want to take care of anybody that's passed away or that isn't feeling so hot to protect them and the rest of the flock. And prolapse of another egg-laying chicken can actually be a, a cause of cannibalism mm. also. And prolapse can occur in very young or fat laying flocks, or, you know, it could just happen because it happens sometimes. So it might not necessarily be anything you did. Uh, Prolapse is when the uterus stretches and tears and takes longer to properly return into the body cavity after the egg is laid. So you kind of see it. um, It'll look really bulgy and red and pink and fleshy back there, which is never a good thing. And it's most common in young flocks that start laying too soon, which is prior to 20 weeks, or if they're extremely overweight, which, you know, we already mentioned that. And when the uterus is exposed for a period of time, other birds will see it and pick at it out of curiosity. And once they pick at it, it bleeds and the picking quickly progresses into cannibalism because they're chickens. They're savages deep down. Yes. I mean, they're dinosaurs, guys. They're dinosaurs. <laughs> yeah, what can you expect? <laughs> yes. So also, if you start seeing bloody streaks on the shell surface, your flock might just be prone to prolapse. So you'll want to make sure that you're practicing proper feeding regimens because that can help prevent the problem and just keep an eye on them because then you'll see it if it happens. Um, another thing to look out for is females laying on the floor instead of laying eggs in the nest or cage. So just a reminder not to place bright lights near the nesting area. I mean, I wouldn't want a spotlight on me if I was laying an egg, so I totally get it. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Make sure you also allow one nesting box for every five hens because they just need to have their own space. I mean, we have a a ton of nesting boxes and I swear they all pile into the same ones no matter how many like fake eggs I put in to encourage traffic to different areas so they're gonna do what they're gonna do 
the best thing you can do is provide enough boxes and then let them sort it out from there. (laughs) Right. I feel like it doesn't matter what I do. There's a favorite and there's always someone that wants to try to sleep in it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I'm like, get out. You're causing all the eggs to get all covered in poop. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And sadly, keeping different ages or colors of birds together can cause cannibalism. I personally have not had this issue. Um, and in this article, they recommend not even putting like feather-legged fowl, crested fowl, or bearded fowl with other fo- fowl without those traits because curiosity can start um, and make them want to peck at things that they don't understand. Um, and toe pecking can even happen in the first few weeks and is often started due to curiosity of the different colors of traits. So... Chickens are not as open-minded as most people should be um, about differences. So you got to, if you're going to brood that way, that's totally fine. You just got to keep an eye out for it. Well, and that's really interesting that you brought that up because I totally remember uh, Twain talking about that Mm -hmm. at Coop Camp. He had said that a hen that hatches a brood of chicks, if all of them are one color or similar coloring, and then one stands out, she tends to kill the one that stands out. Savages. Right. Once again. Yeah, luckily the chick that, or not the chick, the hen that went off and hatched seven chicks by herself um, and brought them back proudly, she hatched quite the diverse group of chicks, and some of them are feather-legged, some aren't. So that hasn't been a problem there. I don't know. Maybe with Mama Hen, she's just helping sort that out. Um, But yeah, so just make sure you take extra precaution. And you want to keep an eye on birds that are slow feathering as well. um, Because most cannibalism occurs during feather growth in young fowl. So birds with slow feathering have immature, tender feathers exposed for longer periods of time, which leaves them open to damage from pecking. So don't raise slow feathering birds with other fowl or just keep a really good eye on it. Well, and one of the things that I think has kind of worked for us, because my flock has always been really mixed, is I think just having one or two of all the different kinds and colors, like there's not enough of one kind to create a gang on the weirdo yeah. that stands out. Because like when everyone's different, nobody, nobody's special. <laughs> yeah. No prison gangs in our flocks because we have so much diversity. <laughs> right. <laughs> Extremely high environmental temps can also cause cannibalism because when birds are uncomfortably hot, they get super grouchy. And I mean, I don't know. I don't blame them. Me too. Right? (laughs) I mean, you can only take so much off before you get arrested. Right. Exactly. (laughs) So be sure to adjust the brooding temperature as your chicks are getting older to keep them from getting overheated. And the temperature, just a quick tip, should be measured at the height of the bird's back directly under the heat source. So uh, you don't want to just have your thermometer like on the ground somewhere in a corner and use that as your temperature. You want it to be somewhere where it's at the right height so that it's hitting the birds and under the light. And that's supposed to be your hottest temperature so that they have some corners to go run into to go cool off and get away from it if they need to. Good stuff. So some other quick um, causes 
uh, include abrasions or tears as a result of an accident or mating um, diseases, especially if nervous system is affected by a disease. They can just kind of hone in on that weakness. Um, flock nervousness or excitement or overexcitement, I should say, which can be breed related. Um, like everybody compares leghorns to being just like really, really flaky and flighty. Um, those are some nervous birds. <laughs> if you need an example, I love right. mine, but they're a little special. Um, and some birds are just a holes and they're just mean and you're not going to be able to change them, which is unfortunate. Um, but they're just going to be who they are and it's not going to be pretty. So you got to make a decision on how to manage that. Yeah, I have a bird that's a mean bird, and I just can't bring myself to get rid of her because she's my favorite. Oh, of course. (laughs) (laughs) But, man, she came up to the new chicks the other day. I posted a picture of it to Instagram. She was going to town trying to attack them through their little brooder cage, and I was like, Bellatrix, like, get the F out of here. (laughs) Calm yourself. Go have some grublies. (laughs) Right. So now we're going to dive into prevention. So um, going through the causes, we kind of touch on what exactly you can do to kind of deter that behavior, but we want to make sure we get specific here. Um, So it's important to allow the birds to use up their energy and then include... It's important to allow the birds to use their energy in an enclosed run or via free ranging. Um, And this will keep the birds busy and allow them to peck greens. They can peck the ground. They can hunt for insects. So they are like really excited about life and running around and not honing in on the weakest link. Yeah. And you can also give your birds a large handful of like fresh greens or clover or grass or weeds from your garden if you can't let them free range or their run doesn't have a bunch of green stuff in it for them to peck through. Um, This will increase the fiber in their diet because a high fiber diet will help keep their gizzard full and it keeps them more content because, you know, I don't know, hangry chickens sounds scary and I'm not another chicken so (laughs) no and when I get hangry I get cranky too so I totally get it and you can also use um, mechanical devices like those plastic peepers or blinders for really aggressive birds Um, that's an option you can also place colored or shiny items for the birds to pick at and occupy their time um, to draw attention away from other birds and you can ha- you can even like hang shiny cans just above eye level uh, because they'll think that's a toy. So that's a good option too. This is totally giving me the opportunity to plug Henny and Rue because all of our chicken toys that we have here, we've gotten them randomly in Henny and Rue boxes. So <laughs> if you've been looking for something to give your chickens for fun, like Henny and Rue always ends up sending something, especially during the winter months. They're usually really yes. good about sending stuff that's appropriate to curb boredom. And you can also apply anti-pick compounds like a commercial anti-pick pine tar or axle grease to wounded areas to deter pecking. Um, You can always go as far to remove the birds that are doing the picking if you need to. And remember to continue to dim um, any lighting to minimize activity and to make them just kind of chill out. 
Yeah, and one of the other recommendations is to eliminate areas where bright sunlight strikes the floor. But um, I don't know, in our coop, I always feel like that's the spot where they like to hang out and sunbathe during the winter. So if it's a problem, you can put some curtains over it. But if you're finding that your chickens are not cannibalizing on each other, then it's perfectly fine to leave those, I think. I totally agree. And finally, in this article, they talk about beak trimming. Um, So you can trim the beak by removing about a third of the tip of the beak, providing a square tip. Um, This makes it it difficult for the birds to harm each other. However, if you're going to go the beak trimming route, you want to make sure it's done by someone that has experience with it. That can help mentor you through that. Um, That is not something that I personally would go to the lengths of, um, but it is considered an acceptable route to go. But you just want to make sure you're doing it right and not hurting the bird. Yeah, it's not something I would feel comfortable doing either. Because if done improperly, you can stop them from being able to eat. And then Mm -hmm. you have a bird that either starves to death slowly or you have to go out there and feed them every day, all the time. Yes. (laughs) It sounds like a lot of work. (laughs) Yes, it does. So the treatments are kind of related to the prevention a little bit, but um, it's worth mentioning just as a reminder to try to correct any practice which may have led to the cannibalism. You want to keep things dark, and if you're brooding, use red bulbs instead of white bulbs. And remember to remove any badly injured birds. You have the option of adding or putting on anti-peck ointment. You can lower the pen temperature if possible, and just don't take chances with this. Um, if you're seeing it, it's like if you see something, say something. Um, but if you see something here, you, you should intervene. Um, even if you feel like you're kind of on that line of let them work it out, like like we've both kind of been with our flocks and knowing it's a serious issue. Sometimes it's just better safe than sorry. Oh, yeah, for sure. And two things that weren't really mentioned in here is uh like I always keep a bottle of chicken Nutrigench and also Rooster Booster oh. on hand. So if I have any chickens that are exhibiting odd behaviors, I usually give them like a good vitamin shot because sometimes it's just that they're missing something. And so they're pecking at anything to try to get it. And sometimes that's their runs. So uh, it's definitely worthwhile to give them a vitamin shot, maybe add some probiotics to the water. You know, things that anything that keeps your chickens healthier could help prevent some of this behavior. And that's it. We hope you guys were delightfully creeped out and learned something with that to help celebrate this spookiest time of the year. Yeah. And now it's time for We Can't Even Corner. Oh, gosh. And this week, I totally can't even. Oh, my gosh. I just saw the headline. I didn't read yours. But you need to tell me what the what is happening. <laughs> <laughs> so James Cameron says that men should eat vegan to get better boners. But why? <laughs> How? <laughs> like, are they better boners? But are they sad boners? Because... <laughs> They just aren't eating meat. (laughs) That is an excellent question. So I happened to just come across this this week because, you know, like the last two we talked about, the last two episodes we talked about 
you know, well, if you listen to them, you talk, you heard them. We talked about eating meat a lot in them. So I wanted to like literally throw a bone to vegetarianism <laughs> and veganism because this is actually some of it makes some sense. Some of it doesn't. But we'll just run through it really quick and I'll link uh, to the article in the show notes so that you can go read the whole thing if you want to. I have to read this one line from it really quick because it's hilarious. It says, yeah, the director of Avatar says that ditching meat and dairy will make your D a Titanic. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so a little bit of backstory. James Cameron uh, is also the executive producer of a, uh, what do I want to call it? It's like a documentary kind of thing where it's called The Game Changers. And what they're trying to do is they're trying to show athletes that a plant-based diet isn't detrimental to their athletic performance. Because that is one of the things that gets brought up a lot against veganism and vegetarianism is I think the conventional thought out there is that, oh, you can't get enough nutrients from vegetarian Mm -hmm. and vegan diets which I think if managed properly like you've actually talked to a professional and you're getting the right supplementation and you're eating the right things in the right amounts I I do believe that it is possible to get everything that you want out of a Mm -hmm. vegan or vegetarian diet if that's what you want to do so I think that's kind of what they're trying to do with this uh with this documentary So basically what this article came from was it came from a scene within the documentary where they've got these three guys and they're three athletes that they're trying to talk into going to a plant-based diet. And one night they feed them a meat-based burrito and then they attach this thing to their member. Oh my God. (laughs) That measures the width and the length and the hardness of it and for how long it's like at its maximum capacity (laughs) no this is so weird it is it's super weird james cameron you're a creeper this is so weird (laughs) and then the next night they did the same thing but they had a plant-based burrito but it wasn't a plant-based burrito it was a burrito that was made out of a meat substitute plant-based like if that makes sense like what I'm saying is they didn't just feed him a a burrito full of vegetables like it had like the plant-based meat type of stuff like impossible meat or whatever Mm -hmm. yeah which I think is important to point out because I think that it's two very different things because I think a lot of that vegan meat is kind of processed and has like a lot of extra ingredients in it to make it more meat like so yeah but that's just my opinion on it (laughs) I think a vegetarian burrito is delicious if it's made with like real vegetables and real ingredients. Uh, And so after they ate the vegan based burrito and attached that thing to their members, they discovered that they actually were harder, longer, (laughs) had a larger girth and for a longer period of time. So, and this was a study that was actually done by Dr. Aaron Spitz, which is a urologist that wrote a book called The Penis Book. Go figure. I mean, he just kept it really simple. (laughs) I mean, yeah, it's it's easy. It's easy to remember. (laughs) 
So one of the things uh, that's sort of relevant in this article is that uh, PETA has spent several years insisting that eating a meat diet can cause erectile dysfunction. And they've even put up billboards that read, meat interrupts your sex life. And in the article, they wrote, are they right? Um, maybe. But I actually say, or not right at all because there's a huge difference between saying that meat causes erectile dysfunction and that eating a vegan meal will make your members slightly harder for just a tad longer (laughs) right and i'd be interested to know like the details of that and is it actually meat or is it all the other processed shit that they're eating along with the meat what kind of comorbidities do they have are they overweight because i've seen overweight vegans and vegetarians before Like, that can play a role in your sex drive and how things are working down there in general. So I feel like that's just a really big blanket statement to be throwing out there by PETA. But PETA also just gets me fired up in general. So I mean, Um. I'm pretty sure that's what they think their job is, to get Sam fired up. (laughs) Probably. That's probably, like, on their, like, weekly agenda for their meetings, you know. How do we fire up these girls from Drink and Farm? Because they're giving us all these this free publicity by talking about how weird we are. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So something else that this article pointed out was that um, a lot of erectile dysfunction is actually caused by high cholesterol because high cholesterol restricts the blood flow through your arteries. And I mean, if you know how any of that works down there, like that's kind of how it functions. Kind of important. It is. It's kind of important. So I think that if you're struggling with something like that, like going to see a healthcare professional and looking at your cholesterol level, you know, uh, adjusting your diet so that you can lower that cholesterol number. I think all of that would be super, super helpful. You don't necessarily have to go full vegan if you don't want to, but I have heard that a vegan diet will lower your cholesterol because it has less fat in it naturally. Mm-hmm. So that kind of makes a little bit of sense. Yeah. Um, and oddly enough, uh, they said in the article that after hearing James Cameron talk about his Peter meter, they're really not hungry for anything. So it doesn't matter what you eat. <laughs> Yeah, they didn't study, it doesn't sound like they did this in the study where they just like starved people for a while or had them fast to see what effect that had on their boner. So I'd be interested to know that too. Yeah, it doesn't. And you know, like this was, uh, this was pulled from Vice. That's where it was pulled from. And I tried to find like the actual scientific study because now that we've talked about some scientific studies lately, I'm just, I'm super fascinated by them. Like I just want to hear like what they looked at and imagine, you know, like think of possibilities that they didn't look at that could have had an effect on the results, but I couldn't find any of that. But I also like didn't dig super deep, but I did hear that this study was done like at a university. So I think it was done legitimately and not just on these three athletes, you know, for the for the show but like on the show it wasn't done like in a scientific way with like a control and all of that stuff yeah right and just because something's done in a university doesn't necessarily mean that they did it right that's true wink wink nod nod you know (laughs) sam's slightly conspiracy theory fan so there's that well one of the (sighs) things that has to be done in order for it to be like What's what I'm looking for? In order for it to be something that they can make a recommendation off of it, it has to be repeatable. So mm-hmm. this study has to be done <laughs> several times. <laughs> so many boners to confirm how your boner works optimally. 
I just realized I probably Ugh. should have heard a parental uh, advisory before we started I mean, this. We <laughs> tell people we're an adult comedy podcast happy hour thing at the very beginning. So if you weren't aware or you weren't, you know, really paying attention at the beginning, I'm glad we have your attention now that we said boner probably like a dozen times. <laughs> and member. <laughs> and member. And Peter meter. Oh, boy. So what is your can't even this week? So mine's kind of a local thing. Um, So my article this week is from the Detroit Free Press. And it's the headline is 7,000 pounds of apples stolen from Spicer Orchard Farms. So what happened was between October 6th and 10th, there was a theft of approximately 7,000 pounds of apples from the Spicer Orchard. Um, the owners check their crops every four days, so they know that it was within that time frame that those apples were stolen. And it's reported that it's like 22,000 apples, <laughs> and they're worth as much as $14,400. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So the owner, Matthew Spicer, thinks that at least three or four trucks had to be involved in the incident. And there are reports that, you know, trail cameras are used in the orchard, but they're being used for hunting season right now. So they're pointed away from the crops. Oh, yeah. So this is the second time this month where an orchard reported stolen items. Uh, So not only do we have the Spicer Orchard apple Theft. We also have a theft on October 7th of 350 pumpkins being stolen from McCallum's Orchard and Cider Mill, um, which is north of Port Huron. Spicer's is in the Fenton area. Um, so there's a lot of weird theft going on. But I'm thinking like 22,000 apples, even if they came back like three or four nights, like that's a lot of apples. And part of me just wants to think that the aliens did it. Gosh, I mean, that's the only logical explanation because you can't I mean, like sneak 22,000 apples away in your pockets. <laughs> right. And I know this guy said like, that's a lot, like there's all these trucks probably involved, but wouldn't you see like tracks from the trucks and wouldn't you like have seen lights or something? Like, I don't know. Maybe the, maybe the aliens are just really basic and wanted pumpkins and apples because it's seasonal, but there are like other people on the internet that also think this is aliens. So I'm choosing to think that way until they tell me differently and give me more proof. But if it wasn't aliens, most likely it was probably like an inside job because somebody knew those cameras were pointed away from the crops and they knew how to get in there and out of there quickly without leaving much evidence. But it's super sad. Like, what the hell, guys? Like, who does that? I had no idea that farmers also had to worry about people coming and stealing their crops off yeah. of the land. Well, it just reminds me of that rotten episode where, like, all those bees were stolen. Oh, that's right. I remember so that. It feels like that, too. So maybe it's just somebody mad about apples. I don't know. So or maybe weird. an apple cartel has started in Michigan. Ooh, yeah. Maybe it's like an apple mafia <laughs> they're gonna be swimming with the fishes i don't know just I'm blame the illuminati now. we'll just blame the illuminati you know what if if it's not aliens it might be the illuminati or an inside job we'll see you're welcome for solving <laughs> that michigan all right now we're gonna move on to farm stories 
which is exciting because we actually had two come in this week. So we're going to have some for the next couple episodes, which makes me happy. So make sure you're sending in your farm stories. You can email those to us at drinkandfarm at gmail.com. Don't get discouraged if you don't hear yours right away, because as we get an influx, um, we'll be reading one at a time until we are like overwhelmed by them. And then we might start doing like special episodes or something with just farm stories. Which is like my dream come true. Yes. <laughs> that would be so cool. <laughs> it's something I've been talking about since this podcast started almost two years ago. So, <laughs> Oh, my God. <sighs> two years. My husband and I were researching our first coop project on a budget. We looked into buying used coops, but most were too big to haul. Actual chicken coops were too small. Wooden sheds or plastic sheds were too expensive, so we decided on an 8x10 aluminum shed and bought concrete paver stones for the floor. In case it ever needed to be relocated, we didn't pour concrete. It took us a few days to get it all put together, and it was a huge pain. We had to cut windows into it, and we built all sorts of roosts and nest places inside. We decorated it with stickers and a wooden rooster that announces you're at the poultry palace. Oh, my God, that's awesome. So cute. (laughs) I need to find that rooster. Yes. (laughs) We were pretty proud and happy it fit all of our birds comfortably. A week later, we got some high winds, and we live on a pretty flat stretch of land. I was sent a text from my aunt with a picture of the entire coop halfway across the yard stuck into some fencing. Oh, no. Oh, that's the worst. It was crumpled and everything looked ruined. Mm. I was devastated. No birds were harmed, at least. And when I came home from work, my husband and I lifted it up off the fence by ourselves and carried it back to its base. It isn't extremely heavy, but very difficult to keep balanced with only two people. I just sat in the grass defeated and cried. Oh, I've totally been there. That's the worst feeling. All of our hard work and money just picked up and tossed away. We picked up the pieces, put everything back together, hammered out dents, and sealed up spots with foam. It doesn't look as nice, but it's back to being a functioning coop, and it's now held down with a ratchet strap and heavy-duty three-foot-long shelter stakes. My favorite saying is that I can do all things through ratchet straps. So good job. (laughs) We have high winds here in Pennsylvania today, and that thing is not moving. Oh, good. Oh, forgot my Instagram is at peeps and quacks. And lastly, I feel the need to tell everyone because my name sounds like a guy. I am indeed a girl. Gets embarrassing when people call me. (laughs) Brannon. Oh, well, hi, Brannon. Yeah, hi, Brannon. (laughs) Yeah, I think I like this story not because of what exactly happened, but I think it's you can almost spin it like a metaphor for life. Like you can plan everything perfectly. Like you, you're not going to pour concrete. You're going to have pavers so you can move it if you need to. And it's so cutesy and it's perfect and it fits everyone. And then life just kind of comes along and, you know, slaps you into a fence. But you can always pick back up and patch things up and, and be a little more functional in the way you're doing things. And it's all good. And now it's not moving from the wind because you learned. So I appreciate that story very much, even though it it wasn't the happiest story. But I think it's important to tell the ones that are more like a real farm life story, too. So thank you, Brandon. 
Yeah, thanks. I think we can all relate to that because, I mean, I'm telling you, we've all had something fly away in the wind (laughs) and been like, what the hell? (laughs) Yes. I'm just really glad that her chickens weren't hurt during that because that's always the worst part and you know like I just talked about Herc's loafing shed and how we made it heavy enough so that the wind couldn't flip it over like Uh horses and donkeys have been killed by their shelters flipping over and hitting them so yeah I mean it's really important to keep all of the things in mind which is so hard because you have so much on your mind when you're running Mm -hmm. a farm anyways like it's impossible yes And now it's time for us to read our review of the week. So if you're kind of new here or you haven't listened in a little while, we're doing a newish thing where we pick one review from each week and we're going to read it on the podcast. And then we'll take those four or five reviews from that month, put people's names in a hat, and then we're going to draw it and they're going to get an exclusive coffee mug that is not and will never be in the shop um, for you to enjoy as a thank you for um, leaving us reviews because rating and reviewing us seriously helps us show up more in searches. And um, we're, we're choosing to do this in Apple because that's where most of our audience seems to be. So right now we're sticking with Apple. Maybe we'll expand a little later. Um, so make sure you leave us a two or an iTunes or Apple podcast review. If you don't have a, Apple product, you can download iTunes onto your laptop or computer and leave us a review that way. Yeah. And trust me, you want to leave us a review because this mug is so cute. It's my favorite (laughs) thing. I'm going to plant succulents in mine and put it on my desk. That's a good idea. (laughs) Just because I want it to be around all the time. I don't want to just use it for coffee. (laughs) I like that. And this week's review is from S. Slezinski. Yes, that's right. S. Lezinski. And the title is Informative and Entertaining. I love listening to Sam and Bev. I was listening to lots of true crime podcasts and in an attempt to lighten things up since I was convinced everyone was out to murder me, (laughs) I found we drink and we farm things and have been cracking up ever since. They discuss a lot of great topics from serious to hilarious and are super relatable. I love the community they've created through the podcast, Instagram page, and Facebook group, bringing together people ranging from those just interested in farming through veteran farmers. The podcast makes my long daily commute pass by in a flash and giving me plenty of ideas to implement in my own farm. When we left the city and started our farm a few short years ago with no idea what we were doing, it was overwhelming and lonely starting on a completely new journey. It's so comforting knowing there are other like-minded folks out there making the same transition and learning along the way as well. Plus, I now have a long list of beer and wine that I need to try thanks to the podcast. Cheers! And this is from Sarah at Ski Family Farm on the Instagram. Yeah. Thanks, Sarah. That was a a really good review. You set the bar pretty high for me and reviews. (laughs) Yes, thanks. We so appreciate that. And we love true crime, too, obviously. Yeah, obviously, (laughs) yes. So just a few more bits of housekeeping before we wrap up today's episode. Make sure you hit that subscribe button and download the episode when you listen. Along with reading and reviewing, this does help us show up more in the algorithms and all the fancy tech lingo stuff. Um, And it helps more people like you find us. And do us a favor and share this episode over on the Instagram in your stories and tag us at Drink and Farm. 
We'll send you a promo code just for this episode that'll give you a percentage off in our merch shop. And make sure you take a look at the show notes to see links to the articles we discussed, a survey to tell us how we're doing, all of our social media goodness, and our merchandise shops. Well, thanks for listening, guys. Yeah, this was fun. And we hope if you celebrate Halloween that you have a spooky, fun, safe one. Um, And get in the Facebook group. Tell us if you're dressing up and what you're going as. Bev, do you plan on dressing up for Halloween? I don't. I actually never dress up for Halloween. (sighs) Well, you did. You like surpassed a milestone this year and you actually decorated for Halloween. So there's still hope for you. That is true. (laughs) I do usually dress up at least a handful of animals and I'm always really good about the kids costumes. Like I just sat down with them this weekend and ordered all of the pieces that they need so they can be whatever wonderful thing it is they want to be this year. I just never get a chance to dress up myself. I don't know why. That's fair. Yeah. That's fair. What are you going to be for Halloween? So I'm kind of feeling like a party pooper this year. Um, Tomorrow, well, Tuesday, this past Tuesday at work, um, we're having our like costume contest because we're doing our big town hall thing. And it, for me, it just feels a little too early. And I had a really rough weekend, so I'm just not feeling it. But I might wear this dress shirt that I bought that's red and has spiders all over it. Oh, I like that. (laughs) And then actual Halloween day, because that's also an an office day, I'm really debating dressing up as a referee with a clown face or something because they've just been really screwing the lions over. So (laughs) I saw a bunch of people at Four Field yesterday dressed up as clown referees or, or burglar mask referees. And I just felt inspired. So maybe that. We'll see. <laughs> that would be pretty funny. And anybody that, well, I mean, there's probably a lot of Lions fans at your office because you live and work in Michigan. So, like, they'll get it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and just be disappointed with me. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah, since I never go anywhere or see anybody, I never get to do stuff like that. But I will take the kids trick-or-treating in town. Uh, and that'll be fun. So, <laughs> so Yeah. Thanks, guys. Yeah, and until next time, drink, farm, and and give give zero clucks. Bye, guys. Bye. We drink things, we farm things, we drink and farm things.